while you stand just a minute longer, I want to read to you from Job, the 42nd chapter, 7th verse. It says, And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken to me the thing that is right as my servant Job hath. Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams, and go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for him will I accept. Notice, by the way, the Lord didn't say, I'm worried about you accepting me. <laughs> he said, I accept or I don't accept right. you. Lest I deal with you after your folly, in that ye have not spoken of me the thing that which is right, like my servant Job. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite went and did according as the Lord commanded them, and the Lord also accepted Job. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Everybody say, when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. I want to speak to you on an unusual topic today. I don't know that I've ever preached on this uh, in any way, shape, or form. Maybe something similar before. But this is, I want to entitle this, The Power in Selfless Prayer. The Power in Selfless Prayer. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the spirit that we feel here in this place. We pray, Lord, for your anointing on your word as it goes forth to minister to us and help our ears to open, our eyes as well to be open, and our minds to be receptive to your word. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Everybody say amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. Verse number 10, which was... What I want to focus on today says, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. That, that turned the captivity is a, uh, it's old English, that's King James version of the Bible's re rendering of that. But I looked at a number of different translations of that in preparing for this. And here are a few the Lord made up for all of his losses. The Lord restored his fortunes. The Lord restored the prosperity of Job. The Lord restored what Job lost. The Lord made him successful or prosperous again. And so those are the various meanings that that passage has it basically says when Job prayed for his friends, everything turned around. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that modern Christianity is eaten up with a lot of selfishness. Uh, I'm sad to say that there are so many people nowadays that look at church as a place where their needs are met. They look at church as to what they get out of it. I'm reminded of what President Kennedy said in his famous words were asked not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. That ought to be the 
the prayer and the, the attitude of everybody in the church. Ask not what the church can do for you, but what can you do for the cause of Christ, for the church? I remember, you know, everybody looks at it specifically as a place where my needs get met. It's all about me. We've encouraged this attitude throughout the world, not just in church, but an attitude that is so very me-centered. It's very selfish. Somebody commented on the fact that, that children are being taught so many things in school now about uh, self-esteem and they're neglecting so many of the basics and somebody commented that we're graduating young people who can't read or write but at least they feel good about it I remember a lady came to our church when I was getting started when we were getting started over in Anderson and we had a group not much bigger than this and we had put together a choir that wasn't much bigger than our children's choir here today and this lady was a transplant from Florida. I'm not going to call the name of the church. Some of you might know it. But she came from a very large church in Florida. And uh, it was an apostolic church, but a very large church. And I'll never forget that after service, she came to me one service and said, Pastor, I want to talk to you about the choir. And I thought to myself, well, She's going to comment, if she has any sense at all, she's going to comment on the effort that they put into it and the anointing that you could feel and the spirit of the Lord that was present there. I mean, you know, it was a small group, but they were doing their best. We really were. Instead, she said, I just have to tell you, the quality of the choir is not what I am accustomed to. And you know what, I I pitied her as I looked at her. But I also felt bad for her pastor in Florida. Because I thought to myself, if I was your pastor, and I heard you had said something like that at a small missions church, I would be mortified. And I would be ashamed that you could go to my church and have that kind of attitude sitting on a pew in my church. But she looked at the choir as something that was there to entertain her. Something that was there to lift her up. Something that was there for her benefit. And there is so much in the church today that is self-centered. There are churches, and I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not against growth. I believe in growth. You know, I believe in revival. I believe in, in a move of God. I'm, I'm a, not against small churches. I'm against small-minded churches. But I'm not against small churches. But I also know that there are churches that grow and have grown to enormous size by focusing on what God can do for you. And over and over again, we hear sermons preached on how special you are, how great you are, how much you deserve, and how to get what you want from God. What you need, it's all about you, 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 me, 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 you, you, you. And there's so little preaching or teaching anymore on intercession. And on our obligation to our brothers and to our sisters. Amen.
When we look at Abraham, he was he's one, of course, one of the heroes of faith of the Bible, one of the great characters of the Bible. But we all know, if you know anything at all about Abraham, you know Abraham was not a perfect man by any stretch. Yet the Bible calls him the friend of God. And I've wondered, what was it about him? But one thing that we see in Abraham's life from start to finish is that he was a selfless man. Whenever he had the opportunity to take the best land, he gave it to his nephew Lot instead. When he heard that God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he interceded for Sodom and Gomorrah. When it came to light that Abimelech was a king, was unwittingly going to take Abraham's wife to be his own wife. The Bible said that God in Genesis 20 closed up their wombs, the wombs of his wives as punishment. But it also says that even though God went to Abimelech and he said to King Abimelech, what you're about to do is a sin. He told Abimelech that you need to get Abraham to pray for you. And so Genesis 20 and 17 says Abraham prayed unto God and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants and they bear children. In other words, God said, you're about to commit a sin, but I know a man whose prayers I'll listen to. And if you get him to pray for you, everything will be all right. Amen. If anybody, any of you ever wondered, you know the 12 tribes of Israel? Anybody know what they are or were? Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. So, 12 sons of Jacob, who was later renamed Israel. 12 tribes of Israel is what they became. Has it ever crossed anybody's mind out of those 12? You had Reuben, who was the firstborn, the eldest. You had Benjamin, who was the baby and the beloved of his mother and his father. You had Joseph, coat of many colors, the man that God spoke to in a dream. You had Levi, the priest, from which the, the, Levitica, the, the Levites and the, the, uh, the Levitical priesthood came from. But yet when it came time, when it came time to set down a lineage that was to become the house of David, King David. And when it became time to set down a lineage, the ancestors of the Lord Jesus Christ himself through his earthly lineage, God didn't choose Reuben the eldest. And he didn't choose Levi, Levi the high priest. And he didn't choose Benjamin the baby. And he didn't choose Joseph with the coat of many colors. But he chose Judah. He said in the, in the book of Psalms, he refused the tabernacle of Joseph and chose not the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, the Mount Zion which he loved. And so Jesus became known as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Why would God pick Judah to be the tribe of the Messiah? 
He wasn't the firstborn. He wasn't the baby. He wasn't the pet. He wasn't the priest. But yet God chose him to be the ancestor of Jesus. It was because if you know anything at all about Judah, you'll find that everything Judah did in his life, he was interceding for somebody else. It was Judah that talked his brothers out of killing their brother Joseph. It was Judah that interceded for his daughter-in-law on three different occasions. It was Judah that interceded for his brother Benjamin. And so when the Lord said, I'm going to pick somebody out of which tribe to come, he said, I'm going to choose Judah because Judah is the intercessor. And that's what Jesus Christ is going to be. God chose the intercessor, the one that knew how to stand in the gap. Time and again, Moses made up for the children of Israel, prayed for them. Numbers 11, when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses. And when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. Elisha, the prophet, prayed for the Shunammite woman's dead son, and he was raised again. Amen. And Peter, with all of his problems, with all of his issues, with all of his hot-headedness and with all of his, his uh, things that were wrong with him and he denied knowing Jesus and he had this issue and he had that issue. He had everything going on with him. And the Lord said to him, one day after he had risen from the dead, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, talking to Peter, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. In other words, Satan wants to get his hands on you but I'm going to stand in the gap I'm going to pray for you I'm going to intercede for you what a tremendous thing to say that the Lord could say I have prayed for you I have prayed for you but I want to go back to Job for just a minute because this is what I really want to focus on just for the next few minutes, and I'm not going to be long. And don't worry, I'm not like Brother Jones last week. Bless him. He said, I'm not going to be long. He said that about three times in the space of an hour. Amen. But he preached a great message, though, tremendous service. But if you know anything about the book of Job, listen carefully, folks, because I want you to get this. You know that the book of Job, there's things that happen in the beginning and there's things that happen in the end. What is it, about 40 chapters, something like that, 41, something like that. You got some action in the first couple of chapters. You got a little action in the last chapter. And then, Brother Gray, you got a lot of talking in the middle. Matter of fact, I preached a message, a sermon one time called Middle Job. The part that nobody ever preaches from. Because everybody preaches about how Job lost everything that he had. And they preach about how he gained it all back. They just kind of skip over all 38 chapters or so in the middle. But let me tell you a little bit about that middle portion. About half of that middle part of Job is Job's so-called friends criticizing him. You got Bildad the Shuhite 
you got Eliphaz the Temanite and Zophar the Namathite. Never heard of them, but nevertheless, they wrote about half the middle portion of Job. Because Job would say some things, and then his so-called friends would come back, tell him why he was wrong. They would criticize him. They talked about, surely, Job, for you to lose your family, for you to lose your, your livelihood, for you to lose everything that you've got, surely it's because you did something wrong. How many of you understand that bad things happen to everybody? And you know that, that you know, I'm always weird, real leery of this. I've never been one to say it. I, I, I let God do the judging. I do believe God judges people sometimes, and I believe God strikes people down sometimes. But when he does it, it's his business, not mine. Because I've seen too many people that would say, yeah, that fellow right there is being punished because the Lord's getting a hold of him. And then next week, whenever they're in trouble, well, the devil's all over me this week. He's working on me this week. It was the Lord when he was on the fellow last week, but when he's on you, it's the devil. Right? And Job's friend said, hey, you've got, you know, you're, you're, you've obviously done something wrong or you wouldn't, all this calamity wouldn't happen to you. But the other half of that middle portion of Job is Job complaining and praying to God. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, Job cursed his day. Chapter 13, verse 19, Job said, Who will plead with me? Chapter 6, verse 11, this is just a small sampling, folks. I could have gotten hundreds of these. 6, 11, Job said, Why should I hope? Chapter 17, 15, Job said, Where is my hope? One of the more famous passages is Job 23 and 3. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. That I might come even to his seat. Anybody ever felt like that? I would order my cause before him. I would arrange all my arguments, in other words, and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say unto me. He said in verse 8, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. In other words, Job said, I don't know where God is. I only know that I'm crying out to him. I only know that I'm trying to find him. I don't know what my circumstances, why I'm in the shape I'm in. I don't know why I've lost my children. I don't know why I've lost my wife, my family. I don't know why I've lost my home and all of the things that I had. They've been destroyed. I can't find God. Then in chapter 7 and verse 21, Job said, Why dost thou not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? In other words, Job said, Hey, if I've done any sin, I want God to forgive me of it. Is there anybody here today that has been going through such a hard time at times that you have said, Lord, I don't know of any sin that's in my life, but I am so desperate right now that if there's something that's in me, I want you to reveal it to me because I've got to get out of this mess that I'm in. 
Job said in verse chapter 29, verse 2, Oh, that I were as in months past. Listen to this. As in the days when God preserved me. When his candle shined upon my head. And when by his light I walked through darkness. As I was in the days of my youth. When the secret of God was upon my tabernacle. When the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were about me, when I washed my steps with butter and the rock poured me out rivers of oil. In other words, Job said, if I could just go back to the days when I knew where God was, if I could go back to the days when I felt the presence of the Lord, if I could go back to the days when I experienced God and his righteousness and his love over me. But you know something, folks? This is, this is the main, main point that I want to, you to get today. It was not in any of these cries for help that God turned Job's circumstances around. It was as though God was not even there. Job said, I don't know where he is. All I know is I'm crying out and he doesn't hear me. But the Bible says, when he prayed for his friends, God reversed his circumstances. Not when he prayed for himself. And I might also point out, you can't, I can't think of very many friends that are less deserving of his prayers than these three. Matter of fact, they were so undeserving of it that God commanded them to offer up sacrifices and said, you've been wicked, you've been wrong, you haven't spoken the right thing. But in the midst of all of this, God said, I've heard what you said, and I heard what Job said, and I didn't answer any of you. But I was listening. But he says that when Job prayed for his friends, God turned his circumstances. I don't want to say, I don't want to say this to, to pat myself on the back. I'm, I'm, I believe it's part of what God was doing in me to make this come to reality today. But this week... I, I've been coming down here and praying. And the thing about it is, is, Brother Shorter, I've been praying different than what I usually pray. This is before the Lord even gave me, even gave me this, this message. Because I have, I have always gone through, you know, you, you've heard me teach on the seven steps of prayer about opening up with praise and then forgiveness, forgiving others and confession and all that good stuff. And I've always done that, but it's been, how can I say this? It's been almost ritualistic. It's been something that I've done just because I knew I was supposed to. Okay, Lord, help me to, help me to forgive these people. Help me to pray for these people. But earlier in this week, God really impressed upon me in a strong way to really intercede not just for anybody, but for some people that have really done me wrong. And I have to confess that for the first time in a long time, I prayed and I wasn't just mouthing the words, but I was trying to touch God on their behalf. 
And the amazing thing that came out of this was I started noticing as the week progressed, things started turning around for Mike Crocker. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? You see, because something happens in us when we pray for one another. Something happens in your spirit. Something happens in your life. Somebody, but, but preacher, you mean pray for my enemies? I mean especially for your enemies. Jesus said in Matthew 5, I say unto you, love your enemies. Pray, bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Romans 12, bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. In other words, pray a financial blessing on their household. Pray for healing for their body. I know somebody that, that hurt me some time ago that is dealing with some, some very severe uh, medical issues right now. And I began to pray this week, God, I want a healing touch for his body. I'm talking about what happens when we begin to pray and we really mean it. Pray especially for the people that have hurt you the most. Pray especially for the people that deserve it the least. What I'm saying to us today, what the word of the Lord is saying to us today, listen to me. I know for a fact that there are a number of you that have come here today with heavy burdens. I know for a fact that some of you need a physical touch in your body. I know that some of you need a touch in your spirit. I know that some of you are desperately in need of a financial breakthrough. I know that you are like Job and you have taken it to the Lord. And you have said time and time again, God, where are you? I look on the right hand and I don't see you. I look on the left hand and I don't know where you are. I don't know that you're there. I look behind me, I can't find you. I look in front of me, I can't find you. And you cry out to God and you cry out to God and it seems that there is no answer but James put it like this when he said confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed I always thought he was talking about the one you're praying for but could it be that he's saying, when I pray for Brother Jeremy, my healing comes. When I pray for Sister Kathy, my healing comes. When I forget about myself and I start giving to the work of God, my deliverance comes. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Amen. If you need a healing, pray for somebody else's healing. If you need a financial blessing, pray for somebody else to be blessed. If you need deliverance, pray for somebody else's deliverance. You need a victory, pray for somebody else's victory. He said, give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Shall men give into your bosom? For with the same measure that ye meet withal, it shall be measured to you again. Amen. 
Amen. Give and it shall be given to you. In other words, what he is saying there is God gives us, and this is, this is something that a lot of people just never get a hold of. They come to service after service, and they're looking for what they can get, what they can receive, what they can take home with them. And the secret, God says, is when you start pouring out of yourself, he says, the way that I've got this thing set up is the more you pour out, the more I'm going to pour in. You can't empty yourself because because I'm going to keep pouring it back in. The more you do, the more I'm going to do for you. The more you give away, the more strength I'm going to give to you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands and love the Lord right now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I love you, yes, Jesus. God. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I'm talking about the power of selfless prayer the power of prayer that says Lord yes Jesus I may feel like I have nothing to give right now I may feel like I have nothing to offer right now I am so dry and I am so lonely and I am so thirsty and I am so hungry. But what I'm going to do is by faith. By faith, I'm going to stretch out my hand and I'm going to pray for my brother and I'm going to pray for my sister. And I know that some way, somehow, Hallelujah. If I stretch out my hand to my brother or my sister, that you will honor your word. You said, Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. And where there's a dry ground, there's going to be healing waters. Where there's hunger, there's going to be a filling. Hallelujah. Where there's emptiness, it's going to be full again. If I'll reach out my Hallelujah. What I want you to do right now is if you have, I don't care if you feel like you're at the bottom of your barrel. I don't care if you feel like you're at the end of the rope. I want you to reach out by faith and offer up a hand in the spirit to somebody else. Amen. The Bible says we know not what to pray for as we are, but the spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. I want you to intercede for somebody else right now. Amen. I want you to say, Lord, I'm going to give. I'm going to give until I've got nothing more. And then I'm going to trust you to fill me back up again. Hallelujah. Pray for somebody right now. Pray for somebody right now. If you feel let me go to somebody, you go to them. But I want you to pray for somebody else right now. Especially if they've done you wrong. Especially if they turn their back on you. Especially if they've hurt you. Especially if they've offended you. Especially if they have been your enemy. I want you to pray for them right now in the name of Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. 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 In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, pull your heart out. Reach into your heart and find that spirit of intercession. God, 
turned the situation for Job when he prayed for his friends.